In this episode of the Distinct Brand Podcast, we sit down with Grammy-nominated DJ and producer Morgan Page. Morgan talks about the evolution of marketing in the music industry and how platforms like Instagram Live and Twitch are changing how artists perform and engage with their fans. All right, fantastic. So today with us, we have Morgan Page, Grammy-nominated DJ and producer. Pleasure to have you here, Morgan. Yeah, great to be here. How's it going? Good, man. Good. Glad to have you here. So I think, you know, for our conversation today and for today's podcast, I want to start off kind of, you know, looking back at the original conversation you and I had earlier this year, um, when you and I had, you know, dinner back in February, March, before all of this started, something, you know, about you that stuck out to me that struck me as rather interesting was that you had a deep understanding um, of social media and the impact um, that could have on, you know, an individual, individual career, especially in the music space. But you also seemed so eager to learn about the future of social. And I remember we talked about platforms like TikTok and, you know, how does one really use that to be impactful for their own personal brands? I know we talked about a, a lot of different, you know, business elements of social and how it all comes together. And I guess to kind of kick everything off, the first question, you know, I'd love to ask you, you know, social media over the past couple of decades has certainly evolved. And as I, as we can all imagine, it's probably had such a crazy impact on your career. Could you kind of give us, I guess, an overview um, of the past few decades, how you've used, you know, social to your benefit, building your personal brand and how that's evolved um, over the years? Yeah, you know, I think early on it started, even before I was doing music, I was helping record labels do street teams. And it was everything from from record labels to major labels. And I mean, everything between grassroots efforts to the more big resource, uh, big labels. And back then it was was MySpace. I mean, pre-Facebook, when Facebook was only college focused, Mm And it really changed. I mean, it seems so basic and rudimentary. There was such limited tracking on how you could serve ads and really, I don't think you could even do pixel tracking in those days. But um, so I've had to really relearn everything since those early days. It was a simpler time uh, with those different social media networks. And now it's like the tools are so much better. So, um, you know, I've always had a good team with me along the way because there's just not enough time to be touring and to do the social media, but you have to be aware of it at the same time. So what I try to do, I mean, I think you're always trying to keep a consistent brand and that's one of the most challenging things. So because your brand is going to change over time and you're going to reinvent yourself, the, the color palette you use, the sort of the keywords, and you got to have a, a firm idea of that vision. Um, so I think recently it's been interesting with the pandemic uh, it's been, I've been able to refocus back on like the visual aspect, you know, using more video in the broadcasts. Whereas before it was more about this, these invisible podcasts where you couldn't really see anything. Um, you know, even pre-stream, it was actually, you know, it was a little more visual before streaming because you had vinyl records and you could get a sense of an artist through their the record label branding. Um, so it used to be a lot more about what label you were on and what city you were from, what scene you were representing. It was a whole different world. Uh, and you were relying on people in record shops to pull your record out and recommend you to to DJs. And that was the way you would kind of get started. And people would hand out your promos in Miami at Winter Music Conference. That's where my career started. It was, I remember seeing uh, when I had Dead Mouse do a remix for me for Longest Road. It, it just was one of those times where you could have a record be like one of the songs of the conference one of the songs of Miami and you hear it in every venue, uh, which is crazy. It doesn't really work like that anymore. It's a little more diffuse. Uh, things are a little more s- splintered out. So I think before it was more about getting your brand out there, having a good publicist, 
Um, you didn't even have a social media guy necessarily back in the early days. You had to do everything yourself or your manager would do it. Uh, but it, it's always been about cultivating, you know, a rabid fan base that would just keep coming out to the shows. No, absolutely. That makes perfect sense. And I think I, you kind of nailed it on the head there when you talk about, you know, that kind of guerrilla marketing style in the beginning, how you are handing out flyers or you're depending on someone at a, at a record label shop to pull out your record. You got to make sure the branding on it looks good because at that point, that's all the selling that's going to be done before that customer makes a decision. Do you think now like it's more challenging or is it easier for artists like yourselves or even newer artists that they can now use so many tools outside of just relying on a record label store or, or relying strictly on like handouts that now it's all over social. Like you said, you can now do pixels on ads. You can really target exactly who you want to listen to your song. I think it's better. It's easier and it's harder both at the same time because there's, uh, less of a barrier to entry to make the music. So you've got more people making better music overall, I would say, but you also have 40,000 songs a day being uploaded and ingested to Spotify. So, you know, how do you tell that story that, that draws people in and how do you attract that everyone's attention? There's a finite amount of attention and people can only listen to one song at a time. I mean, I don't know how, I guess you, you could have multiple songs playing at once, but you, but you only got that, that uh, limited commodity of attention and there's more things competing for that. So I think now the, the real key now seems to be not about having a big pop hit, but having like a really owning your niche and owning that area where, where you have diehard fans that are, will follow you anywhere versus a bunch of timid fans or lukewarm fans that will move on to the next pop act. So it's way more about that now to me. So, you know, you have services like Patreon that are doing, I'm using them as an experiment right now. It's really interesting. Um, also Cameo where you're not, it's not about broadcasting tons of stuff to millions of people. It's about really over serving a thousand fans or 10,000 fans, you know, cause you can, you can do it at that scale, but the quality of that um, artist to fan interaction will go down if you're, if you have 2 million followers on Instagram, uh, you're not going to be able to really have that bespoke relationship with them. That makes sense. And how do you, with your social media strategy, kind of juggle, you know, like you mentioned, targeting those, those diehard fans who know Morgan Page versus also trying to attract the new fans um, on these different platforms? I think it's hard because you always have that churn of the fans, the existing fans grow up. If you do it long enough and you do it well, it's a good problem to have actually. The fans grow up, they have kids, they move on to the next phase in life. And uh, it was pretty shocking the first time that happened where I go, wow, I've been, I've been playing some of these same markets for 10, 12 years. And you see your fans grow up and to a point where they don't go out anymore, but they still want to be involved with the music. So um I, I kind of, you know, I think the main communication is they, they still listen to the podcast and the, they'll go out to the festival sometimes still, but it's harder to do that with, with a family and things like that. So I think it, the live streaming aspect has been a good way to refocus the attention back on those fans. But, um, you know, we're using some tools. I'm using a thing called Ringy, which is kind of like um, community where you're doing text-based interactions with the fans. But I think for a while it was, everyone had this narrow focus, like you've got to either sell a record to someone or play a live show. And there's so much else in between. There's so much gray area and other opportunities where you can, you can serve these fans and keep them happy and not have them have to be in a club buying bottle service. Uh, and they don't have to be, that's one reason I'm doing, like I launched an interview podcast recently. We're about to launch it. We're recording it. 
And it's like, you, they can see a different part of your personality and hear more about your interests, but it's not just about you playing a DJ mix. Uh, it's about people you know, learning more about who you are as a person, what you're into. But I think, yeah, in terms of like actual tools, social media, I think those are all effective, like the remarketing tools of Facebook, seeing what's worked with existing fans. But it's a tough balance because uh, fans, like I said, their life priorities will change and, and you've got to get the new fans and retell your story in a new way to keep your story fresh. Because I think people, if they've seen that movie once, why do they want to see it again? So you want to keep the live shows compelling, uh, keep refreshing the brand and the visuals so it's still interesting to experience. You know, I've always tried to bring in new technology, like we did a 3D show, and we're bringing some of that technology back now. We had a setup where people wore glasses, and the lyrics would pop out from these 3D LEDs and follow you around. If you moved around the venue, the lyrics would follow you. Oh, that's so cool. It was something that uh, James Cameron originally developed, and I was able to be one of the first DJs to use it. Um, so just different ways that I think that are true to the brand and my brand is a lot about technology and trying to use it in ways that make sense where it's not a gimmick and it's, it enhances the show. Um, and it can be tricky because it's more lyric focused music. It's not like I'm doing a dubstep show where it's very obvious to do a lot of aggressive visuals and things like that. So, but I think it's all about giving fans that experience where they want to come back for more and, um, that's something I'm trying to do now too. It's it's really interesting to see the current situation of how do you keep people engaged? You don't just hide away and and wait it out. You got to keep people happy and keep them engaged. No, for sure. And I think you make a great point there about you know the lifestyle changes as your fans evolve, as you know audiences evolve their different lifestyles and how they balance everything. And like you say, you there's almost so much attention you can get, and you have to make your mark as best as you can. Now, I think the biggest lifestyle change we've all experienced the past you know half year now is this pandemic. Everything you know has been a wrench has been thrown to everyone's plans. Live shows are completely gone. I remember you know a week before Miami Music Week here, it was all you know full systems ago. Ultra was still a go. Everything was going to happen, and then a day later, Ultra canceled. Miami Music Week canceled two days later, and it just all kind of fell apart. And I think you and a lot of other you know DJs and artists did a really good job at immediately trying to adapt and starting to do things like live streams and leveraging Facebook Live, Instagram Live, when no one really knew exactly what was going to happen. So now that you know, you've know you been doing that for pretty much a good majority of this year, what are your thoughts on live streaming now that it's becoming such a big focus that it's not ultra or EDC live streaming, but it's you live streaming from a room in your house and it's like more personal. What are your thoughts on that whole experience and how that's going to impact the industry? I love it. You know, it's it started out, I was just scrambling to find the equipment at the time because all the webcams were sold out and there's all this stuff that immediately was was out of stock. And I happened to have a projector that I, I had it used. It was this projector that was used for the emulator. It was that giant touchscreen DJ interface. And I had this, this great projector. I had I got some VJ software I had to learn how to use. And I just cobbled together the setup really quickly, you know, figured out how to get some capture cards, learned OBS, um, and had to really focus on this area where it was not my strong suit of doing video. Video was the last thing I thought about. I usually had someone else handle that, but you had to be really self-reliant. So I think it started out really fun and amazing. It's still fun now, but, but all these new issues came up with copyright takedowns. Um, but it was this, it was for a while, it was a perfect way to reach fans. Uh, it got really saturated at one point. And then it was like, do you keep doing it? Like I did it every night. I did a one hour show every night for 
I think a month and it just got really stressful. And then I was like, all right, we'll do, um, we'll do three nights a week. And then three nights turned into one and now it's focused, but each one I would focus on a, a winemaker. So I kind of dovetailed my interests. Yeah. It was a good excuse because people were partying in their kitchens and people were casting the, the stream to their, their TV in their kitchen or TV in the living room. Uh, but it was really interesting because people wanted a drink. They wanted some stress relief. There was a lot of frontline responders um, that were, it was helping them get through their shifts or like calm down after their shift in the hospitals. So it felt productive to do that. And I also did it to stay practiced. And it, I looked at it as a way to stay engaged with DJing and become a better DJ too, which I think I did. Learned more of the features on the CDJs. It was funny because a lot of DJs don't even have a DJ set up at their house. So they were scrambling to get stuff together. Right. Uh, but, uh, but it was fun. So I you know, put together a DJ set up on one of those uh, fully standing work desks and some speakers. I did some some bartering with some companies where I gave them my music so I could get Resolum for VJ software because it's it's like 800 bucks for the software. And I'm like, well, I'm not on tour right now. <laughs> it's like, you gotta watch your expenses. Uh, so it was really exciting and it still is. It's still, I think it's gonna be a layer that you add to reach those fans. It's kind of these bookends of, fans that are too young to go or illegally can't go to the clubs or go to festivals and fans that are just, you know, maybe over 35 and they don't want to go out or they can't with kids, they have to get a babysitter. So I think it's going to stay uh, a way to reach the fans, even as this, you know, maybe it's next fall when things get back to normal, mm -hmm. we'll see. And how would you describe that feeling of, of being on stage at a festival in a club? You know, I think, Many of our listeners, you know, have been in the audience and always wondered, I know I certainly have, you know, what it feels like to be up there playing for thousands of people. How would you describe that feeling and, you know, how much are you looking forward to that coming back? It's a rush. You know, it's always, you always have butterflies in your stomach. And if you, if you don't, then you're playing it a little too safe. Uh, and it's funny because I remember during the doing the live shows, you know, it's just you in the room. I don't have a crew of people helping me out. You have to wear 10 different hats. It's kind of nerve wracking for a while, even though you're the only one in the room, you know, it's a different energy. And eventually you learn to deal with what it's that feeling of, you know, doing playing just for yourself, but you're really playing for thousands of people. But in person, it's, you never know what's going to happen. Power can go out. I've seen everything happen. Computers crash. <laughs> um, and, and but I remember the first time I played in front of 10,000 people at Red Rocks uh, near Denver. And that was this crazy, it just, there's this feeling of electricity when you play in a room and you're feeling, it's just something intangible about it. That's really interesting. But when you hit those numbers, you can play Coachella, you play EDC. Uh, it's a whole different feeling where you're, you're just this little ant on a stage on this giant stage somewhere, whether it's the Sahara stage or the main stage at EDC and, or Burning Man is really crazy too. That's a whole other feeling. Burning Man, uh, I remember I got up and I started to play and the guy said, oh, by the way, the play button and the cue buttons don't work because of the <laughs> dust. <laughs> and I said, okay, all right, well, how am I going to do this set? So thankfully I had, I was using uh, memory markers. I had them ready so I could, I could trigger the songs from these hot cues, but uh, you got to be ready. You got to be prepared. And I think that part of the fun of the show is you never know what the crowd's going to be like. It's, it's just an interesting mix of people and your job is to bring them together. And online during the pandemic, it's been interesting to see how people have sort of tribalized. They've become these little micro tribes and it's a, they do it because they wanna feel like they belong to something. They do it to, they, people have 
you know, created new friendships and maybe there'll be some, some marriages and some babies from it, but it's almost like these old school chat rooms. It feels like IRC chat or something <laughs> where people are coming together in a new way. They're, they're grouping in a different way and sort of even self-policing, which is kind of fun. Like people are volunteering to be moderators in the chats on Twitch and uh, it's created its own little ecosystem. No, that's incredible. And when you talk about losing you know, a platform like Twitch, for example, I think right now we're seeing, if you look at the engagement that they've seen, a report came out last week that they like quadrupled the amount of users on the platform. And obviously a, a huge you know, impact was because of the, what's going on with the pandemic. People have you know, a lot more free time in their hands at home now. And Twitch has been a huge outlet for a lot of individuals to, you know, whether it is they're super into gaming to go big, watch some you know, live stream, video game live stream, but Twitch also has the music portal as you probably know, and to watch some live streams. What's it, how do you think that's, you know, that setup is now, do you like it that you can be, you know, playing music live and you can see the chat and you now, I think it's one thing when you're at, like you said, at Coachella, you're like a little ant on a stage, but the beauty is no one's ever going to scream from the crowd, play longest road, play longest road. But now when you're live streaming, you can see people saying, play longest road, play this, play that. How do you balance that? Do you feel like this pressure that's just never existed when you DJ or do you like that you can almost see this instant feedback um, from individuals that are watching? It's good and it's bad because someone could say something nasty and then you're like thinking about that comment the rest of your set. <laughs> you, know, you, build up, you build up thick skin with this, obviously, but, but it's like everyone's voice is a little clearer. So what I do, I think I have to go back and forth because there's a lot of, you're juggling a lot of plates. Um, you know, I'll even be firing different visuals while I'm mixing and I go and mix the tracks and I check the chat and, and I was using Restream for the chat, which was kind of cool because it would aggregate the, all the different platforms together. So it wasn't just Facebook or Twitch. It was, you know, I was doing f five different platforms like YouTube, Periscope, um, Facebook, Instagram, like having them all in one area and then be able to respond simultaneously to all platforms was kind of cool. So I, I, I check the chat, I get back, I stay focused and kind of blur it out for a bit. Then I check and be like, are there any requests? So it's kind of cool on your mic that you are, you're, you could say on the mic like, hey, any requests? And then they see that. Or if they see a response on the screen, if you have overlays like with uh, Streamlabs, um, there's different ways to do it. It can get uh, overcomplicated though, for sure. So I know I got really deep into like, all right, how many camera angles do I want to have? And yeah. I really like doing the multi-cam setup. In OBS, it was kind of fun to just add a little more production value. Right, people can feel like they're almost in the booth with you now that there's right. all these different angles as opposed to you know a, a traditional live stream at a festival where it's like sometimes so far away you can't even see the performer or the artist. Right, and there's something to be said. I mean, some of the lo-fi lo broadcasts, like some guys, I know like Dave, Dave Dresden was doing anything where it's just him in one room, there's one camera angle, and it's gotten really popular, the Gabriel Dresden stuff, where <laughs> he just has that and there's no... People like that it's sparse and really basic and it, you can, it can get easy to just sort of overcomplicate it. And people don't necessarily want to see a glossy stream right. to think is interesting. So, I mean, I'm really excited to see what like, Tomorrowland did. They set the bar pretty high, even mm -hmm. though it's an on rails experience. And then, you know, like the next step after that is having some agency and be able to walk around, and explore these worlds. Right. So that's some of the stuff working on right now, like uh, Sansar. I don't know if you've heard of that, but they do. They're doing stuff with Spin and the Monster Cat where you can walk around the venue. You can do it in VR. You can do it as a desktop, like a video game walking yeah. around. And that's, it's just super compelling to be in that space and you don't have to have a VR headset to do it. Uh, so I think that's the next step. It's like we're incrementally doing these different ways and you don't have to spend 
millions of dollars to have a Tomorrowland like set up. Right. No, 100%. I think, you know, we're all excited to see kind of what the future is, especially, you know, when we talk about the music industry and live performances, where that goes, how technology is going to continue to support that and how it gets, you know, deeply integrated into social media. And I guess as we kind of, you know, wrap everything up here, um, I know we have a lot of listeners from, you know, different different parts of the globe, always within different spaces, verticals. Um, but where can, you know, simply where can people find you? What are your social handles? You know, where, where can we find you? Where can we see Morgan Page? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much at Morgan Page everywhere, P-A-G-E, and then morgan-page.com. Uh, I'm on Sirius XM every Thursday night. So you can check that out. It's also a podcast on iTunes and people should definitely check out if they're creative types, they should check out the quick tips. So it's MP like Morgan page, quick tips.com. Uh, we did a card deck with OWC recently. That was really fun. So I'm going to probably hopefully finish that deck. And those are like, I don't know, it's sort of like uh, creative ways to problem solve your way through the, the process of making music, you know, whether it's the arrangement or color coding your cables to make sure you have better creative flow in the studio. Um, that's been a, a little side project of mine. It's been really fun. So that's mpquicktips.com. And as far as new music and stuff, uh, the latest single was Our Song with Mark Sixma. Those remixes are out now. And then the next one's going to be with Vivid. It's called Fade Away. So just going to keep rolling out the new music. And uh, yeah, just staying busy. Oh, also did a remix for Gareth Emery for his new single, St. Mary's and Tritonal did a remix for those guys. All right, fantastic. Well, thank you again, Morgan, for joining the show. It's been a pleasure to have you. I yeah. think you added a lot of great value to our listeners, and we're certainly excited to see you know, how you continue forward and taking advantage of all the cool you know, tech that's coming out and where, where you go from here. Yeah. We appreciate it. Thank you, Morgan. Yeah, thanks, guys. Take care. See ya. That's it for this week, and thanks again for tuning into the Distinct Brand Podcast. This episode is available through iTunes Podcast, YouTube, and Spotify. Follow us on social media, subscribe, and leave a review. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week with a brand new episode.